Welcome, everybody, to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, News Talk Florida's Washington Bureau Chief, and with me, as always, is Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson, and the amazing Alan Steinberg joining us, not necessarily from a park in New York, but somewhere in that general area today. Guys, hope everybody had a nice respite, and now we're getting ready for the week that was. And, and Joe, you wrote an interesting column today, and it has to do with uh, the redistricting of the state of Florida. Why don't you give us a little background on, on what you're uh, talking about with the redistricting? Sure. Uh, Florida began uh, tracking uh, voter registration by party in 1972. And in every year that they've done that, there have been more, usually by a substantial amount, uh, more Democrats in the state than Republicans. And yet, Florida is controlled. The Florida House has long been controlled by Republicans. The Florida Senate has long been controlled by the GOP. And um, a point which I'm sure my friend Tom Jackson will make, it has also won the last, the Republicans have won the last five gubernatorial elections. Now, the uh, League of Women Voters in Florida took a look at the way the districts were gerrymandered, which they were and decided to file a lawsuit. And without going into all the legal mumbo jumbo, they essentially won that lawsuit, forcing uh, the Republican drawn districts to be decided by the courts. So where there were very few contested uh, races in the legislature two years ago, there are now 57 races that are considered contested. And that's, that's better for balance and better I think, in terms of fairness. Tom, you want to chime in here, or you're good with this? I well, I, Joe is Joe is largely <laughs> right on the points that he makes. Uh, gerrymandering has been a, a a fact of life in politics in Florida uh, since gerrymandering became a word. Uh, what 140 years ago. Um, and when when the when the House and when, when the legislature when the state legislature tilted in 1996 to GOP control, and that was two years before Jeb Bush became the first Republican governor in probably 30 years. Claude Kirk briefly was governor. He, he served one term as a, as a Republican in the late 1960s. Uh, but before then, there hadn't been a Republican governor. Anyway, in 1996 running in districts drawn by Democrats in 1990 uh, after the census in, 19, uh, in 1991, I guess, uh, Republicans took control of the legislature and they've never looked back. And when it was their turn to draw uh, draw districts in 2001, yes, indeed, they did draw districts that favored them and they drew those districts again in 2011 under the fair districts uh, law, uh, fair districts state constitutional law that had been passed. Um, but some of those districts were drawn in accordance with the Voting Rights Act that had and the, the most egregious of all districts ever drawn, and it's the, it's the poster child for gerrymandering, was drawn on behalf of, uh, of Jacksonville's Corrine Brown. And, and, uh, and she fought tooth and nail to, to have that awful-looking district preserved. 
that ran down the uh, ran all the way down from from Jacksonville down the the uh, uh, Saint uh, Saint John's River into South uh, Orlando. So it's a, it's an ugly thing, and it was it was clearly designed to make sure that there was a minority majority district. Uh, but when you hold that up as your example of here is gerrymandering at its worst, then you have to look to the federal court in, in Atlanta who actually drew that thing. So no, Joe is right that that. Uh, contested contested contests are a good thing. Um, I don't know how many of those races will actually be competitive, but contests are good because anybody who runs without somebody who holds their feet to the fire in a general election uh, gets a free pass to do what they want to do in the legislature, and I think that that's a bad idea. And so, by and large, yeah, I'm I'm on board with with Joe on this. Uh, but I would also say that if you want to win as as Republicans proved in 1996, if you want to win, you have to run better candidates. And I'm not sure that uh, the Democrats will just now be getting involved in in those formerly walkover contests will be good candidates yet. So uh, if I can jump, if I can jump in there with Tom on this, yeah. he's absolutely right. The Democrats have a very weak bench in the state of Florida. No, all you got to do is look at the uh, at the last gubernatorial race where Rick Scott was ripe for the plucking and the best they could come up with was uh, a retread Charlie Chris, who still almost won. So that, that there is that, but he cited Corinne uh, Brown's district as the poster child for gerrymandering. And there's no question about it. It, it that district is an Andy Warhol painting, or at least it was, uh, it was, it was all over the board. And, Interestingly enough, she lost her primary challenge this year. Now, the fact that she was under indictment may have had something to do with it, but uh, she will not be uh, reelected this year. Uh, and and now, and, and as Tom did correctly point out, she did fight as a Democrat tooth and nail to keep the status quo so she could keep her seat. And uh, But what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Uh, if you're going to demand that the Republicans uh, – draw fair districts, then that's going to mean some Democrats might be vulnerable too. But that's a good thing because we do need those contested races. And Florida hasn't had much of that uh, outside of obviously the presidential races. It's kind of funny. Uh, you're talking about uh, Claude Kirk in 68. Uh, he won because Hayden Burns, uh, according to the people of the state thought he was crazy for giving away all that land at such a cheap price to a guy by the name of Walt Disney, who was at the time trying to decide whether to build Disneyland or Disney World, I'm sorry, in either North Carolina or Florida. And rather than selling that land to Minute Maid, who uh, wanted it, he sold it to the folks at uh, Disney, and the rest is, as they say, history. Uh, I do believe that uh, Tom did forget to mention Bob Martinez of Tampa as a Republican governor was. Oh, you're was, you're right. You're right. Yes, thank you. Was was in there and uh, a one-term governor. No, oh, he's a great guy, but he was a one-term governor probably because right. there was a a backlash to a services tax that he championed, got passed, and then uh, went oops when people revolted against it. Uh, but there's an interesting little uh, nugget that I dug up in all of this that uh, I think going back to 1845, um, Florida had had... Just for the record, prior, we weren't there then. Go we ahead. were not there then, but they, they did keep records back then. 
And uh, the state of Florida since that time had had, prior to Jeb Bush's election, they had had five Republican governors. And starting with Jeb Bush, the last five gubernatorial elections have gone in Florida to Republicans. So there is a tilt for sure. It, didn't Martinez flip from uh, Democrat to Republican during the Reagan administration? He was a when he was mayor of Tampa. Yes, he was a Democrat because Tampa has never had a Republican mayor. Um, and uh, then Martinez did did flip and ran successfully for governor and uh, is a good man. Bob Martinez is just an outstanding individual and but was really damaged by the, the whole service tax uh, debacle and uh, wound up losing uh, to Lawton Childs. Hey, Alan, um, I'm guessing in New Jersey they do a few things like um, working on the congressional districts, no? Much, much different than Florida. I'm glad you asked because we have taken an approach here where we have a bipartisan redistricting commission both for the Congress, the House of Representatives seats, and for the state legislative seats. Let me explain how this works. You have five Republicans and five Democrats on each. Of, there's a separate commission for the congressional seats, the House seats, and a separate one for the uh, state Senate and Assembly seats. Uh, each district, each legislative district in New Jersey, and there are 40, has one state senator and two members of the Assembly. Now, the key is who becomes the tiebreaker. And that tiebreaker is picked by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Now, what's interesting is how the uh, issue of the Voting Rights Act has figured in past reapportionments. In 1990, uh, Florio was the governor, and uh, he was becoming very unpopular because of his tax hikes. And Chuck Hightine was the Speaker of the Assembly, and, uh, and Bob Willens, who was the Chief Justice, appointed Dean Stokes of uh, Princeton. And Chuck was successful. You would think a Democrat would have argued this. He argued in the, uh, that the African Americans under the Civil Rights Act and what they called the unpacking uh, issue were entitled to have uh, majority uh, district seats. Now, what this did is it took a lot of the African American vote, which was a solid Democratic vote, out of some of the uh, really contested districts. And it uh, it went into the dem districts who were Democratic already, so that opened up some districts for the Republicans to capture. And in that election, due to Florio's unpopularity and the redistricting, the Republicans won super majorities. They won uh, veto-proof majorities in each house. So that was a case where the Voting Rights Act, I believe, of 1965, it, yep. it helped uh, Africa resulted in African American majorities of more districts. But it resulted in fewer Democratic districts because the African-American vote, a solid Democrat vote, was moved out of some of the contested districts and uh, basically uh, formed just a more solid Democratic district than a number of the areas of New Jersey. Huh. And, Alan, that was, that was one of the major complaints about what was going on in Florida, that, 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 there, was, that there was packing going on in Florida as well, and certainly the Corinne Brown district is, is – Good proof of that. Uh, and, and now we've got a state constitutional amendment that says you can't do that, and it's been upheld by the courts. And it will be interesting to see how we redistrict going forward because I'm sure that, that lines will continue to shift uh, with, each, with each new census. 
Well, that's my point that the uh, you, you've made my point exactly that uh, the racial angle that came out of the Voting Rights Act, it can work both ways. Double edged sword. Mm-hmm. Right. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, Washington Bureau Chief for News Talk Florida, joined by Alan Steinberg, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson. Guys, uh, if you will, little primer on how the district ended up that uh, we had uh, the big debate this past week between David Jolly and Charlie Crist. Um, what's that race look like? And tell us about the redistricting and how that uh, entire thing played out so that it became carved in a whole different way. Joe, you want this one? Uh, I was going to give it to you, Tom, actually. But well, the, the, yeah. Go ahead. Well, you you watch the you, you watch the debate. I, I skipped the debate, so you talk about that. Um, All right. The the district the district was for the longest time um, slightly it, it leaned slightly Republican, and it was represented by Bill Young for back to almost the Stone Age, and he was probably one of the the most popular politicians in in all of Florida, and he won that he won that seat time and time and time and time again. And uh, David Jolly was his chief aide. When that seat came open with with Young's death, then Young uh, 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 Jolly ran and won a narrow victory over. Um, uh, help me, Joe. Alex Sink. Um, Alex Sink. Thank you very much. He won a narrow victory over Alex Sink, who <clears throat> might have lost primarily because she was a carpetbagger. I mean, she had, she had no house. She lives in, uh, in in East Hillsborough County, um, out in the, out in the Nona Sassa, I think. Um, Correct. And and uh, was seen as a carpetbagger. Still very lost very narrowly um, in the in the special election to succeed Bill Young. Um, and the next time around, there was also almost no competition for from the Democrats to to run against David Jolly, and he would have been in that seat probably as long as Bill Young was. Except that redistricting caused that seat to be moved a little bit farther south in Pinellas County, and it has it has taken in uh, a good bit of the black vote in in South uh, South Saint Petersburg that used to be part of the district that ran across Tampa Bay into South Tampa, um, and that was a solid uh, that, that was a solid. Democrat district, and now we've got two districts in South Tampa and in, in Pinellas County that lean a little bit. Well, the Jolly District now leans a little bit Democrat, and the uh, the, the South Tampa District is not quite as as Democrat as it was. And so now we have a contest between Charlie Crist, who remains very popular in in Pinellas County. In fact, I, I think he carried Pinellas County in the um, pretty handily. In the gubernatorial election that he that he lost narrowly to to Rick Scott, um, so it's uh, but what do the polls show, Joe? That he's got that the Jolly has like a, a one or two point lead. Well, it uh, the the polls are very tight. It depends which one you believe. Yeah. Um, right, Jolly uh, Jolly is certainly um, rankled Republicans uh, as a member of their party. They uh, the National Committee has has really not lent him any uh, any aid and comfort in this race at all uh, abandoned him completely during the primaries and my hunch is that they will that they'll come in uh, with some help here as the election gets closer because he is very competitive against 
uh, as Tom noted, a very popular guy, Charlie Crist, uh, who lives in that district, uh, who who is well known uh, as a St. Pete guy. And uh, as Tom mentioned, they had a debate Monday night uh, that was that was very interesting. It was um, I called it a draw, uh, but I I thought both sides make great points. And uh, you know the 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 biggest thing that that Jolly's got going for him, in, in my opinion, is that he's got this maverick ish uh, image that he is really working hard to to show his independent chops, even though he is a Republican. As as we all remember, he uh, went on 60 Minutes to to push what he calls the Stop Act, which was aimed at uh, stopping the practice of of having the party direct members of Congress into uh, call centers, essentially up to four hours a day to cold call people in their district and ask for money. Uh, he, he has tried to outlaw that. Of course, there's not that much support for his bill, but he made his point. And yeah, Jolly, uh, Jolly is notoriously, he, he hates having to raise money. Jolly is just an anti, he doesn't like doing it. it just, that's just, that's just the way his, his personality runs. That's but exactly on, right. I, I, yeah, I, I think if you don't, I don't think I think if you if you don't have surrogates who are willing to raise money on your behalf while you are supposed to be legislating, I I, I don't know what kind of support system you got. Maybe you don't need to be reelected. Well, there you go. But but the the, the other thing that Jolly's got going for him, and it and it's important for the Republicans, uh, who uh, I think when this district was originally drawn, they probably wrote it off. They probably said Jolly was going to run for Senate. He was even he had even given up his seat, just saying there I'm uh, there's no way I can win in this district. And then Marco Rubio got back in the race, and all of a sudden Jolly goes, well maybe I will run after all uh, to keep mm-hmm. my seat. And so, but he's he's kind of got that easygoing, likable uh, guy that you like to hang out with persona, and. That chips away at one of Charlie's main strengths, which is likability. So I think this is going to be a, a really, really close race. I will not be surprised at the outcome either way. So who and would you, know, you take, Joe, I, Tom, who would you take in the race? Well, I'm listening because I, I think it's fa- it's fascinating. Uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be on with uh, two experts in race, but the only thing I do know is it's not likely for the Democrats to uh, capture control of the House in this election, but a race like this can, uh, you know, if Democrats prevail, can uh, make the uh, House uh, a lot more uh, even-steven. And if Hillary Clinton is elected president, it might facilitate the measures she wants to have passed. So who's going to take uh, Chris in the points? Who's going to uh, take what? Chris I think he's like two points down. So you, you want Chris yeah, on the points or do you want to take uh, Jolly and give the points? I, I, I take at this point, I would take Jolly in the points for this reason. I don't think that the House leadership, which will remain the House leadership, would be would have its heart broken if Jolly lost that seat. But if they if the Republicans come in with money late in the campaign to try to seal it for Jolly will be only because they want to put a stake in the heart of Charlie Crist. And there is no other reason they would do that. 
They just don't want to see that guy on Capitol Hill with them. I, you know, I completely agree with that because um, a loss here for Charlie Crist uh, would be the end. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you think, Tom, that would finally I do think it? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the guy got, is – He's got nowhere else to go. He would be at that point um, – he might want to look for, you know, a Honest soil and water conservation board seat or something. <laughs> but uh, but it, I think he would really be finished in big-time politics. Um, having said that, I think the Republican leadership also won't be that upset if Jolly loses because they figure yeah. that Charlie – Charlie will only hold on to the seat for two years, they figure, and then they'll take it back uh, with a stronger candidate, maybe a Rick Baker or somebody like that, a couple of years from now, and uh, and not have to put up with uh, what they consider grandstand plays uh, from a kind of a rebel in their own ranks. Well, I'll tell you oh, what. I think, that, I, think that's, I think that's a great point, Joe. I think that's an excellent point. I, yeah. Yeah, because okay. the electorate will be will lean much better for – GOP leadership in 2018 than it does now, and and two years of Charlie and then snatch it away, yeah, I I, I could see that. Yep. Well, thank you guys for that primer. That was, of course, Joe Henderson and Tom Jackson, Alan Steinberg on the Politically Incorrect podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, Washington Bureau Chief, News Talk Florida. We're going to step aside, take a quick break, be back and talk about one of Tom's favorite people. That's right. You you know him well. You love him. The senator from the state of Florida, Marco Rubio. We'll talk about Marco next, right after these words. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. I'm joined by Alan Steinberg, Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson. And uh, you are listening to us on NewstalkFlorida.com and Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen. When uh, we got the redistricting out of the way and we got the Charlie Chris David Jolly race uh, put to bed. And now in the news is Senator, the junior senator, I should say, from the lovely state of Florida, Marco Rubio, who wants answers from the White House on the security of Cuban flights. And so I guess what Marco would like to have is he'd like to have. The White House uh, makes sure that there are uh, security officers on all flights out of the state of Florida and also, you know, the other cities around the country uh, on all flights going to Cuba. I kind of thought that was already the process, but I guess maybe not. Thoughts on that, gentlemen? Um, well, it, since, since... – <laughs> Since I since I am the only person on this panel who has actually had Marco Rubio in his car, I will I will take that. You know, I, 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 Marco is not going to let the Cuba thing go, and I and I don't blame him. I mean, I think that his heart is in the right place regarding Cuba. That that there are not going to be reforms in Cuba that that go hand in hand with us with us trying to normalize relationships as long as as the Castro brothers are there. As far as a um, having a marshal on every flight, I I'm not convinced that that is the best way to go about it. I mean, I, I my preference would be let's do it randomly. Let's just every every 
every three or four flights we're gonna have we're gonna have a, a, a marshal. So you know you can be like you can like be like Dirty Harry Callahan at the end of the big uh, big shootout. Yeah, you know, I, I, do you feel lucky? Are you gonna try to take over this flight? Do you feel lucky? I I mean I generally speaking I think air marshals are a good idea. Having one on every flight, I'm not sure that's necessary. Well, the the basically the agreement between the United States and Cuba currently allows air marshals uh, on the Cuban charter flights as well as the you know upcoming more lax flights. So it's not like you're not allowed to do it and uh, and you can do it. But uh, I mean, we've already started flights out of Florida to Cuba, and uh, Alan, of course, out of uh, Newark, they're going to start flying. In the not too distant future, no. Yes, I I keep wondering about uh, one aspect of these new flights. Uh, when Cuba went communistic after the 1959 uh, victory of Fidel Castro, uh, and it was about a year later where he admitted he was a communist and our relationships deteriorated to the point of the Bay of Pigs. Before then, Cuba was a major tourist center. And uh, I, I've thought of this often because when I was ahead of EPA Region 2, I used to get down to Puerto Rico five times a year. And it was a beautiful place. I went for business, but it sure was a beautiful place to go. And I used to tell friends I made there, I said, if uh, Cuba ever liberalizes uh, relationships with the United States and uh, has these uh, regular flights going in and out, it's going to hurt tourism in uh, Puerto Rico very badly. And uh, I think I think that that's what's going to happen. It's going to be interesting uh, the re- reaction of the uh, various Puerto Rican communities in the United States and in Puerto Rico. What about in the Bay Area, guys? Um, is it may a, a a big boost to the Bay Area from uh, from both uh, air traffic as well as uh, going on the cruise ships? Well, I know that. Uh... Kathy Castor, the Democratic Congresswoman from Tampa, uh, has been a major proponent of normalization with Cuba and has worked to secure flights out of Tampa International, which she was successful at doing, uh, trying to get a Cuban consulate uh, for Tampa. Now, interestingly enough, the Democratic mayor of Tampa, Bob Buckhorn, uh, who may or may not have his eye on the governor's mansion, depends uh, which day you ask him. Um, but he is, <laughs> has remained uh, staunchly opposed to uh, such a consulate in Hillsborough County. And uh, St. Petersburg Mayor Rick Kreisman um, has gone, well, we'll take it. And Kathy Castor is going not so fast. Uh, you know, I represent... Uh, Tampa and Hillsborough County, and I want it over there. So we've we've got that back and forth going on. Um, Tampa has a deep, rich Cuban heritage. Do you know that there's actually a little piece of land, uh, uh, very small, in Ybor City, uh, the Ybor City section of Tampa, that is the official property of the Cuban government? So... Uh, you can actually step foot in there, and and you technically you're in Cuba. So, yeah, I think Tampa would benefit greatly by normalization uh, from this, as would the Cuban people. Uh, 
I don't understand this this notion that Marco continues to put out that unless the Cuban government uh, suddenly becomes democratic and does everything that we want them to do, that we're not going to play ball with them. Because we sure do play ball with a lot of other countries, including one headed by Vladimir Putin, that don't have the, that lack the human rights record uh, as well. And these guys are 90 miles off off the Florida shore, and you know what better way to get them to change than to kind of bring them into the family, in my opinion. Tom, I saw in the paper recently about um, one of the things that Port Tampa was going to perhaps benefit greatly because of uh, traffic in there, and some of it had to do with, of all things, Disney World. Yes, sir. I'm always happy to talk about Disney World. Full disclosure, I am a, a minor shareholder on the in the greatest company on earth. What do you um, – <laughs> Yes, well, I, I go, would think go, that. Go ahead the, and uh, go ahead and then and uh, <laughs> and and uh, and and can, sell us a couple of packages. For, yeah, I was going to say, can you get us a sponsorship <laughs> out of there, big guy? <laughs> I, I, I said I'm a minor owner, fellas. I'm a minor <laughs> owner. They do not consult me uh, on on uh, on matters of, of financial. Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I would think that that all uh, Florida tourist attractions would benefit one way or the other. Uh, certainly the mouse being the dominant feature in, in, in tourism in Florida would, would benefit, but I don't see why, uh, why Bush Gardens wouldn't, why the beaches wouldn't once they get these, once they get the muck cleared up. Uh, I, I just, every part of Florida that touches tourism certainly has the benefit when the market opens up to a place that's been off limits to us, to, to, uh, to others for for 60 years. Um, I I wouldn't see why it wouldn't benefit. It was kind of funny. I was in Cuba uh, back in the mid-80s, and um, we were there on a shooting some special stuff for uh, Major League Baseball. And um, we were in this hotel, and we were given a small map of, you know, exactly where we were allowed to go. And... There were these big red marks going, basically saying, do not go here, do not go there. And um, there was a whole bunch of uh, Canadian tourists who were in the same hotel with us. And uh, they said, well, why don't you come to the restaurant with us you know, for dinner? And we were like, well, where is it? And they said, oh, it's over here. And I'm like, no, no, I can't go across this red line or we're in trouble. Um, so there was that irony of here we were down there and had a, a literally a three-block area around the hotel we were in, and that was as far as we could go. Yet there are people flying in and out from, from you know, the UK and from Canada that could go anywhere on the island they wanted to. And, and that's a great point, uh, Jim, because the rest of the world um, is looking at us and saying, all right, well, if you don't want to do business with Cuba, fine, but that's not going to stop us. And so what impact are we really having other than than some political chest thumping over you know us trying to tell uh Cuba that you've got to be just like us or we're not going to we're not going to play ball with you yes castro stipulated horrible violations i get it i get that the that the 
animosity runs deep. It's it's been going on for over 50 years. Stipulated, but this embargo that we've done has really not hadn't hurt Castro, hadn't hurt the Castro family. They're still in charge. It has hurt the Cuban people, and that's who we ought to be concerned about. Alan, from up in New York, there, I know there's a lot of um, of folks who want to head down to Cuba from up there, and you just said you were one of them. Um, how do you think it's going to play out of the New York, New Jersey area in uh, once the flight? Very interesting. There? Very, very interesting. Uh, quite a political difference from Florida. In Florida, the Cuban emigre community became Republican, and from what I understand, however, in this election. Uh, the younger Cuban generation, uh, Cuban-American generation, is moving in a more democratic direction. Uh, up in New Jersey, when uh, Cubans uh, started to, uh, immig- uh, to immigrate into New Jersey, uh, there was one city that uh, became a particularly large Cuban community, and that was Union City. It's a beautiful community, actually, an urban community. Love going there. Now, in Union City... Rather than joining the Republican Party, uh, the resident, the Cuban uh, uh, people who were moving into uh, uh, Union City became Democrats. And the reason they did had nothing to do with the ideologies of the party. They just felt that since the Democrats were the prevailing majority in Union City and Hudson County, which which also includes Jersey City, that that's the party they ought to join. They did it for purely pragmatic reasons. One of the people who was the uh, son of a uh, Cuban immigrant family was uh, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, and uh, he became quite a power. And the Democratic Party in New Jersey was always uh, viewed as uh, more willing to negotiate and uh, open relations with uh, Cuba, except for the uh, Cuban members of the Democratic Party who were very militantly anti-Castro. I think that uh, it's the opening of relations with Cuba. There's a lot of mixed feelings. The younger Cubans living in Union City are very excited about it. The older ones still have horrific memories of Fidel Castro. But I think over time, as especially uh, when the Castros ever die out, it's kind of funny. uh, Fidel Castro, he's like Hyman Roth in the movie The Godfather. He's been dying of the same heart attack for 30 years, and he still is around. But whenever whenever the Castros finally leave the scene, I expect that uh, any vestiges of uh, communism will vanish in very quick order. And I think that you will have a flourishing tourism trade uh, back and forth from uh, Cuba to New Jersey. I think it will be a uh, beneficial, mutually beneficial economic uh, effect. Okay, now to the important stuff as we wrap things up. Think about this, guys, just for a second. Alan, Joe, Tom, your favorite Span- your favorite Cuban restaurant in the Tampa Bay area. That's where you get a plug-in, and that way you might even get lunch. So go ahead, Joe. Favorite Cuban restaurant in the Bay Area? Well, um... There is one that was my favorite. It's long gone now, but it was the old Mercedes Cafeteria in Ebor City. Oh, I just wanted to good. give, I wanted to give them a shout out. That was authentic. But um, oh, it's got to be the Columbia. It just has to be. Um, 
you know, I know it's touristy and everything else, but you know, that that would be my choice. How about you, Tom? You absolutely cannot beat the Columbia anymore. I mean, it is it is it has morphed, it has adapted, it has uh, it has uh, the, the Gonsmart family has gone to great lengths to preserve the culture uh, there, and so it has survived when the other great restaurants have gone. Uh, Cafe Pepe, uh, Las Novedades, um, uh, the, 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 oh gosh, come on, my brain is going bad. Um, the place with all the murals, Joe, down there next to the University of Tampa, where Manuel Biro used to do commercials oh, with Andy oh, Hardy uh, on Friday night. Valencia, Valencia Gardens. Yeah, Valencia Gardens, you know, yeah. If it, if it were still around, Salute if it were still happy around, days. I would take, I would, yes, I would take, I would take, Valencia Gardens over the rest of them combined. I liked it so well, uh, but I and I also like the story that uh, Andy Hardy, who used to do Channel 13's uh, sports, right. he hated two things. He hated to have to give Friday night football scores because they took away from the pros and the colleges, and he really liked talking about pros and colleges. And he also despised with a passion having to do a live shot every Friday night before Shock Theater with Manuel Biro talking about Frijoles Negras and Salute and Happy Days. <laughs> right. But they paid the that, bills. Uh, Alan, but that you is have a, but, you have a favorite one Yeah, exactly. You know you have one up in the New York, New Jersey area? I've never heard of a Cuban kosher restaurant, but I'd like to find one since okay. I'm kosher. That's uh, true. You know, I'm I I'm I'm limited, but I, the idea sounds great to me. Uh so if there are any entrepreneurs out there, any sous chefs or people like that that want to open a Cuban kosher restaurant, I'll be one of your uh, first customers. I'll tell you well, what. There, there, hold on, Jim. There's yeah. another one, uh, and I think Tom may nod in agreement on this. Jim, you might too. Uh, kind of a, a little neighborhood joint called the West Tampa Sandwich Shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that's where uh, during the last presidential campaign – uh, Barack Obama happened to drop by there one afternoon uh, and uh, came in and uh, met met all the good folks there. You go, you go there, and and that's like uh, a who's who of uh, the Cuban community in Tampa. They're all sitting around talking, eating, having a great time. It's a it's a fabulous place. I was having black beans and rice one day at the at the cafe at the uh, Columbia restaurant and. I Caesar Gonsmart walked by, and I said to him, "Caesar, I have a question." He said, "What is it?" I said, "This cup cost me a dollar twenty-five for the the beans and rice." He goes, "Right." I said, "If I go into the regular restaurant, it costs three dollars," and he goes, "It's a better plate." I go, "If I go into the big room, it cost me nine dollars." He goes, "That's a silver plate." And I said, so basically, what do you? He goes, you're paying for the plate. You eat out of a plastic cup. I don't care what it costs, okay? But you step in, and I have to wash a dish. That's going to cost you money. And uh, I always thought that was, that was, you know, that See, was the, restaurants the, here are 101. The so. Gonsmart genius. That's why Goody Goody is back. Okay. Absolutely. And you, it, it, it's, I don't know. It's, it, it's one of those places like Yogi Berra talked about. It's so crowded. Nobody, you know, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. It's too crowded. But, right. <laughs> oh God. All right, boys, let's uh, wrap it up and take the social media train home. Um, 
All right, Steinberg, you're up. How can they get uh, you? My social, my social media, uh, my Twitter handle is a Steinberg uh, six one three. My Facebook page is Alan Joel Steinberg, and I'll close with this. Yogi Berra was a friend of mine. I knew him from Lake the Great Yogi from Montclair, and my favorite saying of Yogi's was, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. That's right. <laughs> Tom Jackson, you're up. You can, I don't have as good of a, a Yogi story. I have no Yogi stories. Anyway, you can find me on Facebook, Tom Jackson, journalist, entrepreneur, and my Twitter handle is, at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T H O M A S J A X Tampa. Mr. Henderson. Well, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa, T A M P A, or you can find me on Facebook uh, at Joe Henderson Commentary, Columns, and Such. And you can find all three of them on NewstalkFlorida.com where they write prolifically with some very interesting stuff. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at NTFLA. That's NTFLA underscore politics. NTFLA underscore politics. Facebook, of course, is News Talk Florida. And look forward, guys, to a very special upcoming edition of a live edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast prior to the Monday debate. We'll keep uh, keep you posted on it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed this one. And now I'm hungry for black beans and rice, and uh, hopefully the other guys are as well. We'll catch up with you next time. Thanks for joining us this time.